Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your Pure Gold Commentary Podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Morgan Vincent, and I have the privilege of pastoring at Avondale University Church within the North New South Wales Conference here in Australia. And in this week's episode, we have Pastor Gavin Anthony to discuss the theme, The Shepherd's Crucible. Pastor Gavin is actually the author of this quarter's Sabbath School Lessons, and he's here with us to discuss this. Gavin, welcome. Hi, Morgan. It's great to be with you. So, Gavin, for the sake of our hearers, tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. I am currently working in Iceland. I'm the conference president of a small conference up in the middle of the Atlantic. I wrote these Sabbath School lessons some years ago as God began to unfold certain realities, truths to me, and it became a very personal journey. Mm. I also, in my spare time, if there is such a thing, teach a little bit of discipleship for Andrews, for the online classes. And I suppose discipleship, disciple-making, is really where my heart is, and particularly Mm. what it is that enable spiritual transformation. And I think when we think about this larger subject of suffering that we're going to be looking in this quarter, this is one of the subjects that gives a little bit of an insight into where God is wanting to take us in terms of becoming more like him. Mm. Because sometimes we only really get to grips with the reality of who I am and how much I need God when I find myself in some sticky situations. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you for introducing yourself. And we're really excited that you took the time to join us on this discussion today. And I guess, Gavin, by way of just jumping straight into it, let's deep dive into this discussion on the Shepherd's Crucible. And I guess to serve as an introduction, to serve as a platform for where we're going, where did this all originate from? What led to the Shepherd's Crucible in this journey that we're going to be on today? Well, I suppose if I try and go back as far as I can, when I was in college, I got a book called My Utmost for His Highest. It's a book by Oswald Chambers. It is the world's best-selling daily devotional. And as I began to read that as a student, Chambers has this one point which he is just banging on all the time. And that is how do we completely yield and surrender ourselves to God? And so I began to pray that God would sort of teach me that. A very foolish prayer. Hmm. It's not the sort of prayer you want to pray if you don't want the answer. And God began to answer what it was like to yield everything to him in ways that I didn't begin to imagine, really. My last year in college, I was asked to go out to Albania. And Albania, at that time, had just come from under a communist regime that had gone on for decades. And as I was there, people were telling their stories of what it was like to live under a brutal dictatorship for these decades. And they were telling them to us as outsiders for the very first time. Mm. So as people shared their stories, it was very raw and gritty and full of emotion. And there was I, 26 or somewhere around there. And this was really, it was challenging for me to hear. But there was one particular time I was in the south of Albania and 
listening to a lady who had gone through extreme suffering and she was telling the story uh, her story because of they knew the communists were going to come into the country this is in the 1940s if i remember correctly they decided that they were going to go over the border at night into greece so only their bible study group knew that they were going to escape they got their kids together they're going through the woods in the middle of the night to the border and as they get to the border, there are soldiers waiting for them. Hmm. And someone in their group was an informer. She and her husband were put into a labor camp. Her children were taken away from her. Her husband was beaten severely and eventually died. She was kept in a box one meter square for 18 months. Now just think about that. Hmm. So you got the blazing hot sun in the summertime, there's snow in the winter time. She couldn't stand up properly. You can't lie down properly. And she was explaining all this, talked about how she would sometimes, her, her children would come on the other side of the barbed wire fence, no shoes on their feet. Eventually she was released from this camp, but she was now considered an enemy of the state. No one was allowed to help her. So she's telling me this story and there's tears running down her face. And then she leans across the table to me in her 70s. And she says, so where was God when I was suffering? Wow. And I felt like a fraud. I mean, what did I know about that subject? And obviously I done my theology studies and I pulled up some Bible texts that I knew of and I remember she leaned across the table and smiled and squeezed my hand and said thank you but as I walked out of her house that day I thought just felt a fraud I I just didn't have the tools I felt to be able to share properly something that she deserved a better answer than I had. Anyways, as I walked through her door, and I remember it distinctly to this day, as I walked through the threshold of her door, I prayed and I said, God, one day I would like to write a book to help people understand this. And then I completely forgot about that book or about that prayer. Then I go into ministry and for some reason, I just go from one problem to another problem to another problem. And it was a very painful process over a number of years. And I, I remember my parents always saying to me, Gavin, why is all this stuff happening to you? Hmm. And I was like, I have no idea, but <laughs> I'm learning lots of really good stuff. <laughs> but it was exhausting. And it seemed to me in many ways chaotic. If we zoom forward a, a number of years, I was asked to give a presentation at the European Pastors' Council. This is about seven, eight, eight, nine years later after this event in Albania. I was given this title, Prayer in the Life of the Pastor, colon, Surviving Spiritually. And I remember looking at that title with a little bit of trepidation, thinking God has taught me a lot about this kind of hanging on with your fingernails. But... I really want to teach these pastors something new and fresh from my own experience. And so I prayed another really stupid prayer. And I said, God, you know, over the months from now until it was about nine months till this European Pastors Council, I pray that you will show me in my experience what I need to pass on to these people. 
And the moment I prayed this, all sorts of things began to fall apart. Very painful. But then I began to realize, hold on. No, this is what I need to teach these pastors. So I went to the pastor's council. This was in Holland and I was very excited to be there. But when I got there, there was about approximately a thousand pastors from across our division were going to be present. And I was one of the seminar speakers. And I didn't know how many people would show up, but I thought yeah, there'd be a few. Well, I walked into the room and there were eight people sitting there waiting for me to speak. And mm -hmm. my first thought was, I have gone through all of this pain for eight people. Are you kidding me? Wow. And I was really complaining to God about this because I knew he was leading and I'm thinking for eight people. And I actually walked around quite stunned for a few days after that. And I'm thinking, God, eight people. I knew really is this all it was for. Then I began to think, hold on, maybe I could wrap what I've been learning up in and write a book. And I felt that was something God wanted me to do, to pull all these fascinating things that God had taught me, not just over the previous nine months, but over the last few years. So I began to put things down in a book. And when I sort of was getting towards the end, I wrote to a publisher and I said, you know, I have this idea for a book. What do you think? And they said, great, send us chapter one. So I sent chapter one and they said, this is great. Send us the first three chapters. So I sent the first three chapters and then they wrote back and they said, okay, send us the full manuscript. So I was like, God is working. I can see he's doing something here. It just all seemed to work. People read through my manuscript. They, everyone was saying, this is really excellent. The day that I finished my manuscript and I had to send it to the editor, I was looking for the email address of the editor in my laptop and an evil spirit came into the room. Like literally an evil spirit? Yes. Mm, wow. Now, I couldn't see it, but I'd mm -hmm. had enough experiences with evil spirits in the past to know what was happening. Instantly, all the hairs on my body just shot up on end and there was just this really terrible sense of evil in the room. And it was as though energy was being sucked out of my body by some force. And all I could think of was I need to go and pray, I'll ask someone to pray for me. So I stood up to go and grab my mobile phone and I had suddenly become so weak in that literally just a few seconds that my knees buckled under me and all I could do was slam shut my laptop case and my laptop just go and try and get the phone and ask someone to pray for me. It was a really horrendous experience. But what I realized, I thought, well, if this is important to Satan, then this must be also important to mm. God, whatever I'm doing here. So I, in a strange way, I felt a little bit encouraged. So next day I sent the manuscript off to the editor. And three months later, they came back and they declined to publish. And then I was really stunned. It was like, again, I know God is leader. I'm sure he was. So I'm doing what I believe God is calling me to do. And it's just these, the doors just closing. And what do I do now? I walked around for another few days, just stunned. I just didn't know how to think and praying about it and praying. And then I began to think, hold on. We'd been talking in our division about Sabbath school authors 
and I thought, I wonder if what I've written could be the core of some Sabbath school lessons. So I wrote to Cliff Goldstein at the GC and I said, I've got this idea. What do you think? And he said, great, we need this is we really need something written on this subject. So he said, send me uh, an overview, like an outline. So I sent an outline and he said, this is great. Send me lesson one. So I wrote lesson one and sent it. He said, OK, send me lesson two. So I wrote lesson two and sent that to him. And he literally went one by one <laughs> all the way through the 13 lessons. Because <laughs> normally people are requested to write Sabbath school lessons. You don't normally volunteer. And then they request the voted the Sabbath school lessons. A few months later, I got an email from the editor who rejected my manuscript originally for the book. And she wrote and she said, Gavin, I see that you're down to write the Sabbath school lessons for the refiner's fire, would you be so kind as to write the book to go with it? So now I was being asked to write the book hmm. that had been rejected some a couple of years or so before. But hopefully by that time, perhaps the ideas had matured a bit and it was organized a little bit better. And I could not have imagined in my wildest dreams, particularly considering how young I was. It wasn't like I'd had years and years and years of experience of life, but God had taken me through this experience and out of it came Sabbath school lessons and a book that have been a real blessing to people. And when I say that, I really mean that, but God has made it so abundantly clear to me that this work was nothing to do with me. Mm. It wasn't because I had some smart ideas. This was his work. All the texts in these Sabbath school quarterly for this quarter, I only researched two Bible texts. All of them came from God as he opened up scripture to me while I was walking through difficult experiences. So we could consider in one sense that these Sabbath school lessons are my theological autobiography. Hmm, wow. And of course, we're looking at this bigger subject of pain and suffering and why is this happening and all that sort of stuff. And I think that when we see that God is at work in our lives and when we come to the conclusion that he is actually present and he still loves us, even though we go through some pretty tough stuff, we can find peace and contentment through this. Mm. And I think one of our greatest fears of human as humans is that what we go through is random and chaotic but the reality is that when i am committed to christ when i am submitted to him he will always lead me to a place that is very good and always for my very best and also for the glory of christ mm. because ultimately my life in this world is about honoring Jesus. And again, if we're looking at the bigger picture of what's going on, there's sort of a little phrase that I come use that helps put maybe all of this in a little bit of perspective. We're all created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God to reveal the beauty of the character of God for the honor of God. And therefore we can, as long as we remain committed to Christ, he will take us on that process, on that journey that we will reveal the character of God with beauty and clarity, because that is what the world is longing to see, mm. that there is a God in this world and to find out what sort of God he is. And that is revealed, I think, most 
authentically through God's people as they allow Christ to reveal himself through us. And often the suffering that we go through provides the opportunity for maturity in ways that we wouldn't otherwise have. It seems as though you would not have necessarily learned these lessons if it weren't for having gone through these experiences. And I find that an interesting thing And because when I reflect upon my own life and difficulties and pain and suffering that I've gone through, hindsight is a good thing. When you can look back and you think, oh, now I saw God leading or, oh, I saw what God did then or there or through that person. And this is going to be an incredible journey that, that we go on today to discuss this. And, and I guess really to hone in on this focus of the shepherd's crucible, there's probably no better place to go to than the shepherd's psalm, that being Psalm 23. And I guess a little bit of my experience with Psalm 23, Gavin, for, for you to hear and for our listeners as well, is that there was a time when I was very much wondering where God was. People had always said, God is with you, Morgan. God is with you. And I thought, yeah, but how do you know that? You're not going through what I'm going through. And God led me in a very powerful way to Psalm 23. And no, no word of a lie did I say to myself audibly over a period of weeks and months, Psalm 23 in verse 1. I just kept saying it to myself. And I kept saying it to myself until it came to the point of it was the reality in my life. And so I think, Gavin, let's jump to Psalm 23 and we'll unpack that and, and see what we can learn from that as well. Did you want to kickstart Psalm 23, Gavin? Yes, let me do that. And when we come to Psalm 23, and of course, maybe the first thought that many of us think is, I know what's there. I mean, talk, to try and talk or share something new about this passage may be quite challenging, but I'll share my journey into mm -hmm. this and why I think this passage is very helpful. And if maybe if I just back up slightly, sure. when we, as Seventh-day Adventists, we often talk about the great controversy. This is what God is doing over time in the universe, God's purposes. And it's a great, huge panorama. And I'm a little bit of that story. Psalm 23, at least in my mind, is the personal narrative, the personal story of an individual's journey with God. And let me explain how I came to that conclusion. Some years ago, I was abroad, I was studying, and I came to, someone called me on the telephone and they shared with me some gossip about me. Very foolishly at that time, I always thought I would, it was best as a leader to know everything that everyone said about. Very foolish, very, very foolish. But anyway, they wanted, they called me specifically to share some particular gossip about me that was really painful and quite nasty. And it completely stunned me. I could not believe how someone who was so close to me could say something so, in my view, poisonous. And I remember walking back to my room and literally, I, it sounds a little bit like a cliche, I leant back against the bedroom door and slid to the floor mm. and just cried. I felt terrible. And as I was on the floor crying my heart out, the Holy Spirit said, Gavin, open your Bible. And I had my Bible on my bed and I picked it up and 
I literally just opened the Bible, looked down and through the tears, and it was bleary to begin with. I mean, I remember that. <laughs> I saw these words. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this is verse 3 of wow. Psalm 23. And I stared at those verse, that verse, those words, and I thought, wow, could it be that the experience that I am going through right now is on the paths of righteousness? Because we have this kind of view mm -hmm. that God is good and I follow God and everything's going to be all right if I follow him. Satan is the bad person and he gives all the pain. And of course, there's, there's some truth to this, right? But could it be that I could be experiencing pain, but be very definitely and even specifically on the path of righteousness? And as I stared down at my Bible, I just looked at Psalm 23 in a completely different way. And this was like a map, a story of mm. what God is doing. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm a sheep. If I just give an overview first, it begins with green grass and quiet waters. And then you've got the valley of the shadow of the death. And then you've got a table surrounded by enemies. And then at the end, you've got the house of the Lord. And so you've got these different locations. And in my mind, these were all tied together with the paths of righteousness. The paths of righteousness linked these locations. So whether it's, a, you know, something that's nice, green grass and quiet waters, or whether it's a table surrounded by enemies, you can still be on the path of righteousness for that. You mm. haven't fallen off the path somehow. God is still doing something and he's still trying to get you to the house of the Lord, which is the destination at the end of it. So it became like a map for my personal journey and our journey as individuals, as people who are under the shepherd's care. That's an interesting point because sometimes we can in our humanity think, well, why is God allowing this? What's going on here? But if we can have that framework, if we can have that within the back of our minds, that even when we're in the lowest of lows, that God still has us on the path of righteousness, it changes the focus. And this is something that it distinguishes the God of Scripture with other gods, is that the God of Scripture is one who is not just saying, yeah, you're going to be going through these things, but he actually says, I'm going to be going through these things with you. It's not a God who is distant, but it's a God who is very close and proximate to us as well. And that's the challenge, I think, for us, because we assume that because I'm feeling bad, mm. that God is not there. And this is a challenge to my faith. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my heart is breaking and I don't feel God. I don't see God. I don't feel joyful. And therefore, I conclude, or I would suggest, I'm tempted to believe, because mm -hmm. I think it is a temptation, that God is gone. And I think the greatest challenge for us, and in one sense, this is really going to come out through the whole of the quarter, is to believe that God is good, he loves me, and he's present. And I think those three things, if I can keep hold of that reality, then that's going to keep me on track. But the problem is I regularly fail to believe that. Mm. And, you know, faith is, as we know, and one of the lessons is just on faith later in the quarter. Faith is the agent of transformation. Without faith, I can't go anywhere. 
And oftentimes, I think God is looking and calling for a deeper faith than we have, because it's faith that's going to make the difference, not our knowledge. Mm. Knowledge by itself doesn't transform. And we know this from Jesus. He's walking past towns and he couldn't really do much there because they had no faith. Mm. So faith is critical, again, to believe that God is good. He loves me and he is present. Mm. And that's what we have with the shepherd right in this psalm. I'm the sheep, he's the shepherd, and he is leading me. Yes. He is not distant from me. He is right there. And there's a wonderful text. I've forgotten if it's in Isaiah and Jeremiah right now, but it's later in the quarter. It talks about how the shepherd holds the sheep close to his breast. Mm. We are that close to God, yeah. but sometimes we don't realize it. Mm. And that is a great tragedy. And I love how in John's gospel, Jesus teaches of how he doesn't just say, I am the shepherd, but he says, I am the good shepherd. It's this qualifying statement, if you will, as if to say, okay, perhaps there are bad shepherds out there. Perhaps there are evil or vindictive or selfish shepherds out there, but Jesus says he's the good shepherd. And so this means so much because in your life, Gavin, as you shared from your testimony, your life story, that we all go through detours. We all go through points in our lives, times in our lives, seasons in our lives where we just think, what on earth is going on? And I guess a question, Gavin, to throw to you is, how can we make sense of these detours? It's here in the text in Psalm 23 that, hold on, we actually go through the valley of the shadow of death. How can we make sense of this? That is the problem, isn't it? And the fact that we go through these experiences without knowing mm. is God is taking this huge risk by allowing us to go into the valley of the shadow of the death or to be surrounded by enemies. He risks us saying, okay, I don't get this. I'm leaving. Mm. And lots of people do quit. They quit the church. They quit Christianity because they don't like this God that appears to be dealing with them or not dealing with them. There's this quote by C.S. Lewis actually on this point, and this was relating to when his wife was dying. And he says this, he says, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. Mm. And that's our challenge all the time. And I suppose when you're asking, how do we work through this? There are many times where we will not know the purpose mm. of our present circumstances. And I think in a Sabbath school quarterly, sometime in the quarter, there's a great quotation from Ellen White where she's talking about her suffering. She says, I don't know why this is happening. I don't see the purpose in it. But now we're coming back to faith. If it was all, you know, God could make everything clear. He's like, Kevin, you know, you're going through this because of that. And you're in this right now because of this. God doesn't work like that, but he does ask us to believe in him. We come back to this issue of faith mm. and trust. And do I believe who God is? Do I believe that all things work together for good? Mm. Not, think, not that all things are good, sure, wow, but that wow. through everything, God is working for good. Do I believe that he is good? And I should have enough experience with God before I get to the, well, as someone said, 
you don't put the roof on a house when it starts raining. You know, that there's a knowledge of God that you need to, an experience with God that you have. And then when these things come, I have built up this relationship, this intimacy with Jesus that it enables me to trust him completely. Mm. Jesus is on the cross. He knew his father. He had this intimate relationship with his father. And so he does not completely, obviously there's some terrible things. Like he, the way he talks about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But underpinning it all is this faith that doesn't let go. Mm. And I think that's where everything rises and falls. Have I built up an intimacy with Jesus that I know him so well that when the dark night comes, I'm not going to start screaming and be terrified and give up because I'm so scared. Now, I can think of lots of experiences where I've certainly felt like that. And the only way I have been able to cope with that is literally to get on my face, literally on my face before God mm. and pray for fresh faith. Because that is what, that's the ingredient that enables me to hold on without succumbing to uncontrolled terror that takes me outside of God's presence. Mm. And again, I've been terrified and bewildered and all those overwhelmed with feelings of depression and whatever else. But at the end of the day, I have to get back on my face and that's where I can regain my strength and confidence that God loves me, he is good, and he is present. Because of this, it makes me think of how Jesus goes on to say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And it's as though we can hear God's voice when things are good. We can see his leading when things are good. But maybe so we can hear his voice even louder when we're going through those dark, those troublesome times. Think of, you know, one of C.S. Lewis's great statements where he says that, paraphrasing here, that the pain and the suffering is actually God's megaphone to arouse and to awaken a world that's slumbering and sleeping. And I guess with this, to bring out a point of having faith, the thing I love about Psalm 23 is that, yes, we're having faith in a God who is good, but he's given us his promises. And I love how that along this journey, we're linked by paths of righteousness with whatever situation, whatever location or place we find ourselves in. But when we consider, and I just want to read here, Psalm 23 and verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And some modern translations say, Surely God's goodness and unfailing love will pursue me, will chase me all the days of my life. And you think, wow, when you're in that dark valley of the shadow of death, it's like, wow, we can have faith that it's God's goodness and his unfailing love, his mercy that's following and chasing after us every single day of our lives. Not just the good days, but also the bad days. Yes. And maybe if we go back and if we spend a moment on verse three to this verse that I read at the beginning, he leads me in right paths for his namesake. And depending on your version, paths of righteousness, right mm -hmm. paths. And the question is, why are these right paths or righteous paths? All right. They are righteous paths because they, as you just mentioned, they lead us to the right place. It takes us to the house of the Lord. They're right paths because they keep us in connection with the right person, the shepherd. Mm -hmm. And again, we're talking about the sheep and the shepherd. They are together. The sheep is leading. The, the shepherd is always close to his sheep. And I think they become 
particularly righteous paths because as I remain in intimacy with this right person, the shepherd, I become like him. I become righteous like he is righteous. And I think everything really boils down to this personal intimacy with Jesus that keeps us going. And it is, as I'm speaking, it is the counsel to Laodicea in Revelation 3. What's the problem with Laodicea? Jesus is on the other side of the door. Yeah. He's not inside. It's an intimacy problem. And you were talking about listening a moment ago. And I think listening, the problem of listening, and maybe this is something we'll come back to later in the quarter, is probably one of the most essential habits, skills, whatever we want to call it, of the Christian life. But we have often made listening a very kind of theoretical, theological idea. Listening is Bible study. Yes, it is, because God has spoken and those words have been written down. But there's also an intimacy with God where I hear the impressions, I experience the impressions of the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think listening is so important because it keeps me in contact with God and of course, this branches off to a whole other subject that can be explored another time. Listening is the foundation of obedience. Mm. So if I cannot hear God, I'm not going to be responding in obedience. But that listening is supposed to be something that I am doing every single minute of the day. And the Holy Spirit is always bringing me back online. And you're talking about these goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. Now, this probably isn't very theologically sound, but it's a picture, at least, from a British point of view, because we've got green pastures and we have sheepdogs. And I imagine these two sheepdogs called Goodness and Mercy corralling the sheep to make sure they get home. Yeah. And now, obviously, this is a little bit distant from the Palestinian setting of this story. But it's kind of an interesting picture, at least for me, when I reflect on this psalm. But... Well, you're right. You know, what we were talking about at the beginning, God is always present. The shepherd is there. God sends all of heaven's resources, his angels, whatever we need to make sure we will get to the shepherd's house. But intimacy and knowing God and knowing his voice is so critical. And particularly when you get into some serious difficulties in your life and the pain that we go through, we need to know what God has said. Otherwise, we will find ourselves veering off or fading away off the path of righteousness, veering off the path of righteousness, and we can't hear the Holy Spirit wooing us back in, again. In beginning to, to bring our discussion to, to, to a conclusion, I love how the focus is on bringing it to the house of the Lord, bringing it to that place of safety. And this isn't the first or only time that David uses this within the Psalms, but we also find it used in another section, and I won't go there just yet. I'll leave that for you, but it lets us know that whenever we're going through suffering, our goal, as you said, it's to stay with the right person, to become the right person, and to arrive at the right destination. And I think the order is intentional there. If we're trying to become the right person through the suffering we're going through without being with the right shepherd, if you will, we're going to get the order wrong. We're going to be focusing on, I need to grip my teeth in. I need to keep going through this suffering so I can be this righteous person. But have we neglected? Is the shepherd still leading us or am I my own shepherd, if that makes sense? And so it's really critical for us, for our listeners, that we focus on, hold on, 
let's stay with the right person, with the right shepherd, to then become the right people so that we can arrive at the right destination as well. And where else this imagery of the house of the Lord come within David's writing? Well, Psalm 23 is a psalm where we've got some difficulties on this path of righteousness, right? We've got the value of the shadow of death and it's death and it's a dark place and people are scared. They might have veered off the path of their own volition. They chose to go there or circumstances tempted them off. It doesn't really matter how they got off, that they're in the dark and they're scared to pieces or they're around the table surrounded by enemies and they're worried that whatever God has placed on the table for them is going to be stolen. Mm. And the question is, why don't the sheep give up mm. and say, this is too much for me? I can't cope with this anymore. Now, in Psalm 23, the objective, I guess, in one sense, is to get to the house of the Lord, according to what we see in the text. But why does David want to go to the house of the Lord? Mm. What is there that is or can serve as a motivation for going keeping on going in the dark valley or not becoming overwhelmed when you're surrounded by enemies. What is so vital about the house of the Lord? And Psalm 27 verse 4, I think, gives the answer. And let me read that for you. This is from the NIV. One thing I ask from the Lord. Okay, so one thing. Mm. There's one thing David wants. This only do I seek. So he's emphasizing one thing. It's the only thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Great. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Mm. David sees the house of the Lord as the place where he can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. In other words, the character of Jesus is so attractive to him. That's where he wants to focus. And of course, when we go into 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we've got this really marvellous text from Paul, which I think is the twin of this verse. Let me just read this for you. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Again, this is the NIV. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're contemplating the Lord's glory, Paul says. And as we do this, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Hmm. David finds that God is so attractive. His character is so beautiful. He is drawn to that. And as he is drawn to gaze upon God, Paul would say David is going to be transformed with increasing glory to be like the God he's gazing at. And I think, therefore, as we are starting out in this quarter, as the sheep is starting out on this road, walking the road of righteousness, the number one motivation, according to David, is that the beauty of the Lord should be so attractive to us that nothing will stop us Nothing will disillusion us or trip us up permanently because we're going to get up. We're going to stand back up on our feet when we get knocked down and we are going to keep going because the beauty of Jesus is incomparable and we need to be in his presence and gaze upon him. 
And when we think about our motivations for why I am a Christian, we're talking about generally now outside of the subject of suffering and pain and all that sort of stuff. Why am I a Christian? Why do I want to be with God? God's beauty, his attractiveness, his character must be, I think, the number one compelling motivation. That is a motivation for any time, but particularly when I'm going through really tough stuff, I'm not going to give up because Jesus is so beautiful and important to me. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us today as we've launched and kicked off the, this first discussion in this series, Crucible with Christ. And thank you for your time, for your insight, and really for sharing your heart, your journey of how God has led you and is still leading you and the lessons you've learned, the experiences you've learned, and that central focus of pursuing God and His glory and His goodness in the midst of any and everything that could go wrong in our lives. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.